We're going through the Colossal Christ of Colossians, and let me remind you, June 3rd, what's coming on Wednesday nights? Book of Revelation. And I'll tell you, I'm, uh, I've gotten so, I'm, I'm moving along in my study of it. I haven't looked at it for a while. I've taught it a couple of times, but I can't tell you how this book moves me. And uh, I feel like I'm reading today's newspaper with a lot of it. And this is going to be a life-transforming series. It's hugely profoundly prophetic it points to the future and we're there a lot of what it talks about and a lot of what it talks about is certainly coming just around the corner great tribulation antichrist one world economic and political system it's breathing really sitting at the door and so we're going to look at it and it's going to be a, it's going to be a, listen i think people are going to get saved from it and so don't forget, tell people, June 3rd, we begin the book of Revelations, and it's going to be great. Now let's, uh, let's look at what's so special about Jesus. Now why would I be asking that? You're going to see in just a minute. But let's see what he says. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding what, everyone? Nonsense can be high-sounding, right? Where does it come from? They come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Don't let anybody capture you by philosophies that aren't from God. Father, thank you for your word tonight. And we pray that you will teach us, help this church to be wise in salvation and discerning of the attacks the enemy sends against us and those we know and love. We pray that, Lord, you'll help us to be steadfast in the truth that is in you, immovable, always abounding, in the work of the Lord, in Jesus' name. Will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you better listen. You're going to need this. Now, uh, let me. I'm going to back up so we can look at that verse one more time. I want to just point out a couple of words. Notice he says empty philosophies. Empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. And then, of course, the word capture. Capture, empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense. Now, I've told you that Paul wrote Col uh, Colossians to counter false teaching. He was countering teaching that was undermining and marginalizing the work and the person of Jesus. Now, I don't think this is news to you, but I'm going to tell you anyway tonight that our Jesus, the Jesus, the real Jesus, is under attack in America. I hope that's not news to you. You say, what do you mean? Well, just watch a few talk shows or, or uh, a few television shows and it doesn't take long for you and I to hear disparaging words made about him and his people. And not just disparaging words about Jesus himself, but about his work, about the necessity of leaning wholly on him for our salvation. We're living in a day, and I'm going to go into this a lot more in just a moment, but a, a day of pluralism. Now, pluralism is, is one of the gifts bestowed on us by political correctness. And what is political correctness? It is the paranoia of offending anybody with anything. And what political correctness does is it basically takes the teeth out of your convictions. You can't voice your convictions. 
uh, because you might offend somebody over your conviction. So you can't say, that, for instance, that you believe Christ is the only way to salvation. How dare you say such a thing? There's many ways to salvation. And who are you to tell me that you've got the truth? Uh, it, is, it is against political correctness to voice the belief in absolute truth, absolute morality, absolute ethics, because we're in a culture where whatever is right to you, true to you, seems best to you for you, is what's best and what true, what's true and what's right. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're basically a right-wing extremist, ignorant bigot. And that's where it's going. And I think if there's ever a time for preachers, pastors, Christians in love to start preaching, teaching Jesus up, it is in our day. We're going to have to get, uh, I think, aggressive. We're going to have to be steel-like in our faith and not be ashamed of the gospel or of the person of Jesus Christ through whom and only by whom we are saved. Now, I want you to notice what he, a couple of words, spoil. Don't let anybody spoil you. That's a fancier word for take you captive. Spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Well, what's he talking about there? He's warning them not to be captured by a false teaching. Spoil or being captured, it's translated from a Greek word that means to lead away as stolen valuables, like valuables stolen from a crime scene, or valuables taken away from a residence in a time of war. That's what spoil means. When a, uh, for, uh, an invading army takes over a city, when they have captured the city, it's very, very common for them to go into the homes of that city and remove from the homes all the valuables. Why? Because that home has been taken in war. Now here's what he is warning us about. Paul the Apostle is saying, don't allow yourself, because you're valuable, to be stolen away by a false philosophy in a time of spiritual war. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by a false teaching, because when you believe, and I believe a false teaching, we have been captured like a person is captured in war. And because we're valuable to God, because God loves us and we're his children, if the enemy captures us through a, a vain philosophy, then he has stolen something very valuable. Don't allow you, a valuable person, to be stolen away by the devil through a false philosophy. It's happening all the time in our day. And I'll tell you, if you don't know this Bible, if you're not living in this Word, reading this Word, devoting yourself uh, a, a certain amount of time every week, hopefully every day, to reading this Word, meditating in this Word. This is your shield of faith. This is the sword of the Spirit. And this is what will keep you from deception. Now he's saying, don't let anyone lead you away from Christ like stolen goods. Have you ever seen somebody captured by a cult? Have you ever seen somebody captured by a false teaching? The, the, the terminology here and the, the illustration is perfect because that's exactly what it's like. Here they are in church one week, their hands lifted, worshiping God, loving the Lord with all of their heart. 
with their family, with their kids, and somehow, somewhere, a false teaching winds its way into their mind and into their soul, and one day they wake up and say, you know, I think that's right. And they believe it, and they accept it, and that false teaching leads them away from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ, and when you talk to them, it's not the person you used to know. They have changed. What happened? They were captured by a false teaching. Paul said, I don't want that to happen to you. This is exactly what false philosophies do. They seduce a person away from Christ. Now, what is philosophy? So I'm going to be real clear here. What's philosophy? When I say philosophy, when Paul says it, what does he mean? Well, here's Webster's. Philosophy is the branch of knowledge or academic study devoted to the systematic examination of basic concepts like truth, existence, and reality. That's philosophy. Here's where you ought to be getting your understanding of truth, existence, and reality in this Bible right here. It covers all the questions about truth, existence, and reality. Where you came from, where you're going, who made you, who designed you, who you'll answer to, who you'll live for, who you'll die for. This book covers it. That's philosophy. Philosophy comes from two Greek words, and they're very simple, but I'll show it to you. Phileo, of course we get Philadelphia out of that. Phileo means love for. It's like to have an affection for. And Sophia, Sophia is wisdom. So you have philosophia, and philosophia is the love or affection for wisdom. That's what it is. Somebody, say, somebody says, I'm a philosopher. What they're really telling you is I've got an affection, a real love for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. I want to understand things. Now, the philosophy you accept into your life is the truth that you have the strongest affinity for. It is your worldview. It's the values, the ethics, the morals, and the principles by which you live your life. Now, you may not feel like one, but can I tell you tonight, you are a philosopher. You know why you're a philosopher? Because you have accepted basic principles and values and a worldview that formed from when you were real young, and it's there in your mind, and when you're approached with questions or conflicts, they run through the filter of whatever philosophy you have accepted, and you behave according to your philosophy. Your philosophy will dictate the way you live your life. Very, very important. Whatever you believe about life, the meaning of life, about God, about you, about others, is going to decide how you live and how you treat others. Now, how important is your philosophy of life? Everybody say with me, totally important. Because you will behave, live, and treat others according to your philosophy. You're going to treat your spouse according to what you believe about life, your principles, your, your values, your children people around you in the workplace, how you treat yourself, how you live your, your life out morally and ethically, all go back to whatever philosophy you have accepted for life and living. And we've all done it. For instance, I'll give you an instance here. If your philosophy is one of agnosticism, what does that mean? Well, that means this. It says there may or may not be a God. We can't be sure. We don't know. There may be, there may not be. 
No one can be sure. If you believe that, then you're going to live your life according to your own set of morals and ethics, not those that spring from the Word of God as your source of ultimate truth. Okay? So if you're an agnostic, you're going to live life a certain way. If your philosophy is such that you believe we all evolved from monkeys, which I was talking about on the radio tonight, <laughs> i got to tell you, the more I think about evolution, the more stupid it looks. But let's move on. He says, he says, I said, this says, if you believe we evolved from monkeys and that one day our distant, distant, faraway ancestors crawled out as an amoeba from some primordial soup, some body of water, and we evolved over millions and trillions of years eyes and ears and tongue and mouth and limbs, arms, legs and lungs and the incredible digestive. If you think that that all happened by time and chance with no intentional designer, then to you it's every man for himself because there is no God. You will not answer to anybody. You are beholden only to you and it's the law of the jungle. The strong survive, the weak die. You're on your own, dude. Then you're going to live your life a certain way based on that philosophy. And I personally believe that philosophy has destroyed generations. And it is amazing to me that it's still a battle. They won't let us at least teach creationism as, as um, alongside evolution and give the kids the option. Because if I use pure logic... And forget faith and forget the Bible. Just pure logic. I cannot arrive at evolution. You can't do it. But now, if your philosophy is Christ-centered, if it's Christ-centered, meaning that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-sent Messiah, who came to earth to redeem us from sin, and in whom we will answer, or to whom we will answer, for the way we live, and uh, our lives out, the way we live, we're going to answer for it. It will decide how you treat people, handle conflicts, and view the world. When I get up in the morning, I'm, I'm not going according to the law of the jungle. I wake up and say, Lord, guide me today. Help me to love people today. Help me stay clean today. Help me to walk right today. Help me to glorify you today. And help me, Lord, to, to fulfill my calling and my purpose for this life today. Now, that's not what an evolutionist does. He wakes up and it says, it's me against them and them against me, and I'm going to win. Are you all with me? All right. Now, notice that Paul taught those of us who name the name of Christ to receive no philosophy into our lives that is not Christ-centered. He said, let's look at it again, don't let anyone capture you make you, uh, capture you like a treasure taken in a time of war or in a robbery. Don't let anybody capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from where everybody preached to me, Christ. Any philosophy that does not have Jesus at the center of it, like the sun around which the planets revolve, then Paul said, don't accept that as a, 
as a philosophy that you live by because any philosophy that doesn't have Jesus at the center is not from God. Now, I want you to notice that Paul nails the two sources of wrong philosophy. Here they are. Here's where they come from. Human thinking, man, and his reasoning comes up with it. And look what the next one is, the spiritual powers of this world, which would be the realm of the demonic. Philosophy, whatever you accept as your philosophy in life, has three possible sources, two in the world and one from heaven. Human thinking, demonic, or it comes from God. And if it came from God, at the center of it is Jesus Christ. Amen? Very, very powerful. Okay? And the superior choice is not hard to arrive at, is it? It's easy. For instance, we're told in Scripture about the reasoning of men. If you want to think men come up with philosophies you can live by and die by and prepare to meet God by, listen to what it says in Proverbs. There is a way that seems right to a man and appears straight before him, but at the end of it is death. I don't care if their IQ is 200. I don't care if they're brilliant. I don't care if they hold three PhDs. There is a way that seems right to men, but the end of it is the way of death. Now, what does that tell you and me? If you're going to go by the philosophy or the lifestyle that men come up with, you've got a guaranteed destination, and it's death. I don't know about you, but I don't have time to fool with that. According to Scripture, here's why. It's not that man can't do anything right. It's that he can't do anything right. Here's why. According to Scripture, man has fallen. We're fallen. His, his reasoning, therefore, is flawed, blinded, and fogged up by sin. Do you remember what you did with your life before you had the guidance of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you remember what you did, where you went, how you ended up? Do you? Let me ask you, was it glorifying to God? Was it getting you into heaven? Come on, y'all. Wake up. You see what I'm saying? How, where did you get yourself before you knew Jesus? I give you a seven-letter word, T-R-O-U-B-L-E trouble all right why because there's a way that seems right to us if left to ourselves we'll go with that that's the right way i think i'll go that way i think that's the way i need to go i'm going to make decisions i'm going to do that that's the way those are the decisions i'm going to make that's the path i'm going to take and he says guarantee you because we're fallen and flawed and fogged up by sin we cannot arrive at something that's going to bring anything other than death Now, I'm not saying that everything that non-Christian people say is wrong. That is, many non-Christian thinkers have said things that are sensible and practical and they're worth hearing. I can find some things Confucius said or some of the Greek philosophers said. I can find something that earthly, worldly thinkers said that I can go, well, that's, that's okay, that's practical, I can, that, that's not a bad saying. But here's the deal. Philosophy that springs from man alone will never lead you to Christ and it will never lead you to the saving of your soul. Never. Never. There is advice and counsel that goes by the name of wisdom in this world, but it does not come from God. And more and more and more, it's coming over that television. Counsel and advice on how to live your life, 
how to choose your mate, how to run your relationships, your morals, your ethics. It's on the talk shows. It's everywhere you turn, but it's not godly counsel. And if you follow it and you get away from Christ and you're captured by some philosophy you hear on TV or read in some book that carries you away from Jesus being the only answer, the one to help you walk down the narrow way that leads to life, then it will lead you to destruction and death and frustration and futility because it doesn't come from Him. I don't even watch it anymore. That television to me has been co-opted by the enemy of my soul and very little of it will I ever give my time to. And that includes Dr. Phil. and Oprah, and some others who have departed and don't teach Christ, and yet millions hang on every word they say. May God help us. My teacher is Jesus Christ. My philosopher is Jesus Christ. What he told me to do is my way. The way he told me to go is my way. He's the greatest thinker of all time, the greatest philosopher of all time. There's not a person in history that can even hold a remote candle to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? We've we got to get to where not only does he save our soul, but he is our guide in this life. And if somebody stands up and teaches something contrary to him, they just lost me. God says through the prophet Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is what he's saying about worldly wisdom. I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. I'm going to go back a little bit. Uh, and the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Paul writes to the Corinthians. Listen to what he says about earthly wisdom. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God made the wisdom that this world comes up with foolishness. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, catch this, everybody, what, look what it says, the world through its wisdom did not know God. Now, if you have embraced a philosophy that is worth your accepting, it ought to lead you to God. But boy, if you're a reader, you can read history and you can read about all kinds of philosophers that thought and wrote and searched and probed their whole life long. But at the end of their life, they were frustrated and had to confess, it has not satisfied me. I have not come up with satisfactory answers. Something is missing. I have not found God. So the wisdom of this world is like being on a hamster's wheel. Here you are spinning that wheel, but you're getting nowhere. You're not arriving at anything. Now look what God says. Since in the wisdom of the world, or the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. He can stand up a Simon Peter or a John, salty old uneducated fisherman, and they just let that gospel go forth. And these people who had sought God through all these intricate philosophies and never found him, through the foolishness of preaching, came into direct contact with the living God. 
through the person of Jesus. Powerful. Uh, so the acid test of true wisdom, everybody, is whether it leads you to a true knowledge of God. And man's wisdom does not. Now look what James tells us about the wrong kind of wisdom. He says, this superficial wisdom, like what's on TV most of the time, so on and so forth, is not such as comes down from above. But what is it? Preach to me. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's even devilish. I think the church needs to have a baptism in discernment. We need to be baptized in discernment. And the more we know the Word of God, the more we will discern the foolishness, the sheer idiocy of what is passing for wisdom in our day. Well, Pastor, why don't you just kind of be a little passionate tonight? Well, I'm trying. I feel this. All right? Uh, so, now, in light of everything I just told you, the real wisdom comes from God. It's found at the cross of Jesus Christ. When you go to the cross, you find wisdom. When you go to the cross, you find deliverance. When you go to the cross, you find healing. When you go to the cross, you find freedom. When you go to the cross, you find heaven. When you go to the cross, you find peace and joy and strength and fulfillment. When you go to the cross, for it says, in Jesus is the wisdom of the ages. But in light of this, let me share with you some th a couple of things that amaze me. When we look at what we just did in the Word of God, I'm amazed at what's happening in the church world today. Let me give you an example. In certain parts of the, if certain parts of the church do not return to wholehearted devotion to the wisdom of Jesus Christ and commitment to the Word of God, those churches are DOA. They're, they're dead while they, while they have the lights on. As a matter of fact, they're dead but still got the lights on. I read this week of the Episcopalian church. Now, when I say this, I'm not picking on any church. Uh, I read a lot, and I want to know what's happening in the church world because I'm in the church world, and I love the church, and I love pastors, and I love the people. And so I want to know what's going on. But this is just something I came across. So let's just talk about the Episcopalians for a minute. I read this. Uh, they're in such confusion because they have walked away from the Scriptures. George Conger, in this month's issue of Christianity Today, writes this. Jesus saves, the Episcopal Church teaches, but a growing number of its clergy believe other faiths may lead to salvation as well. In February, a devotee of Zen Buddhism was elected bishop of the Episcopal Church's northern Michigan diocese. Now, Oh, you know, this is just the little tip of the iceberg. But let me just go on a little bit here. And let me just talk shop with you, Christian, dear Christian friend. Let me talk shop with you tonight. Because we're in a battle. We need to wake up. we got to get back to the Word and back to Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm tired of seeing the church raped by this foolishness. It's time to wake up. So let, let's just read on. The problem that is afflicting large slices of the church pie today it's called syncretism. I want you to say that with me. Syncretism. That's just another word for pluralism. What does it mean? Syncretism or pluralism is a blending of belief systems. And here's the way it works. It's like somebody that goes to a different cafeteria week after week. They wake up and go, well, where, where do you want to eat today? Well, let's go to Luby's. I feel like some vegetables. Well, let's go to uh, uh, Poncho's. I feel like some Mexican food. Well, let's go to Papagaya's. I feel like some fish. Whatever. 
Whatever you wake up feeling like you want, that's what you go get. But you know what? That's the way people are treating churches and religions. And whatever they're in the mood for, they go and listen to. And their moods change and their desires change. And what they're in the mood to listen to changes. And here's what happens. A little Buddhism here, dash of Hinduism there, salted with a little secular humanism, and prepared or peppered with a dab of Islam. What you get is a spiritual potpourri, a religious pot pie. The result of this is the slow encroachment of syncretism in Christianity, and it's proving to be disastrous. Congress says, again, in his Christianity Today article, the results of an August 2008 survey conducted by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life said, and, and, and get ready, grab the side of your chair, because I did, 52% of American Christians overall and 47% of evangelical Christians believe that some non-Christian faiths can lead to eternal life. Beam me up, Scotty. Now, notice the numbers there. 50, more than half, said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, I'm a Christian, and I'm an evangelical. No, you're not an evangelical. Don't call yourself an evangelical. If you believe other faiths can get you saved as well, you're not an evangelical. You have, you have separated yourself from the core of Christian teaching, that there is only one way, truth, and life, and His name is Jesus Christ. And nobody gets to the Father but through Him, Acts 4.26. Now, hang with me a minute here. I can almost hear Paul's question to the Galatians when I read something like that echoing down through the ages. And what did he say to the Galatians? He said, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. You foolish Galatians, when you got saved, it was because you heard the message of the cross. And when you turned to Christ for your salvation, the blood of the cross covered your sins and saved you. What in the world has happened to you? King James says, who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell on you? Paul wants to know how in the world, having heard the clear message of the cross of Christ, they could possibly be turning to anything else. Well, we're the same today. 52% think that other faiths can save you as well. Well, then why evangelize? Why go out and preach the gospel? Why have church? Why call yourself a Christian church? Call yourself the pot pie church. <laughs> or the, the church of the religious potpourri. I'm sorry, but it, I just, this blows me away. I don't understand what's happening, but I think I do, as a matter of fact. He goes on. Paul goes on, he says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? And, of course, they all said, no, we, 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 we died by the law of Moses because we couldn't do it. And we could easily say, did you receive the Holy Spirit by Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius or Krishna or your own good intentions? 
Did turning to any of them, when you turned to any of them, did you experience the Holy Spirit being poured into your heart? Did you experience the love of God? Was your life transformed by the mighty power of the Holy Ghost when you turned to those? And the answer is no. Did any of these things bring the Holy Spirit into your heart? No, they didn't. Because the Holy Spirit is only poured out in the heart of somebody who has called on the name of Jesus Christ and asked for forgiveness and received Him. They received the Holy Spirit. Paul says, of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about who, everybody? Christ. That's how you get the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I did it. I tried it. I tried hugging trees and sitting in, in, in the woods and saying all over and over for hours on end, and I got ant bit, and I got no Holy Spirit. But when I called on Jesus, whoosh! Now he goes on. Paul says, our faith is backed up. Our faith is backed up and affirmed by the undeniable power of the Holy Spirit who is given to everyone that calls on the name of Christ and Christ alone. Let no man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the spirits of this world, and not after Christ. Paul says, how foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort or anything else for that matter? Why would you need Buddha? Why would you need a little dash of Islam? Why would you need all these different things if what you have is all that you really need? In Him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the final answer of all of our needs for wisdom. We don't need another. So, Pastor Jeff, why would it matter if we dabble in other religions? A little bit here, a little bit there. Other belief systems. What's the big deal? Let me ask you a question. If you're married tonight... Is it a big deal to you if your spouse dates around? Oh, no, go ahead, honey. Hallelujah, I'm busy tonight. Praise the Lord. Go out and with Bill or Bob or if you're a guy, yeah, or a girl or whatever. You know what I'm saying. Because these days, you really don't know how to phrase these things. But would it, does it matter to you if you're married, if, if, if your spouse goes out there and just dates around when you're busy or... And they say, oh, I'm married to you, but, you know, I, I, just, uh, I, just need to, I just need to get around some. I need to, I need to you know, I need, to, I need to date others and get to know others. And, and you don't mind. I understand. How many of you would mind? And you singles that aren't married yet, you know good and well if you were married, you'd mind. Matter of fact, you don't even have to be married to mind. If you're committed to somebody, it doesn't matter if you're married or not, and they tell you, well, I know that you're, you're, you're working tonight, so I'm going out with Bob or Sue. You'd mind. Why? Because we're hardwired to be like God. Now listen to what God says to his people in Hosea 2. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. God talking to his people, you are my wife. Paul told the Corinthian church, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promise you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. We have one husband, Christ. We don't bring others along. We don't bring Muhammad along, Buddha along, Krishna along, Confucius along. We have one husband, Christ. That's why syncretism matters. 
the first of the Ten Commandments. Number one, the very first one. I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. God was often angry in the Old Testament. All the time he was mad. People say, I don't like that Old Testament God. You know what he was mad about most of the time? Syncretism. They were polluting their faith. His people, called out from Egypt, were polluting their faith by worshiping idols and by intermarrying with people of other religions, which virtually guaranteed that Israel would slide into syncretism. In Exodus, God gives his reason why he was so adamant about Israel not intermarrying with people of other faiths or religions. Quote, Then you will accept their daughters, says God. You will accept their daughters who sacrifice to other gods as wives for your sons. And they will seduce your sons to commit adultery against me by worshiping other gods. God was mad all the time because they kept intermarrying and messing with people of other faiths and letting their pure faith in God be polluted by syncretism. When we worship anything other than the true and living God, he considers it spiritual adultery. So I don't need another. I'm happy in Jesus. What about you? And can, may the rest of the church hear this. You can't live in syncretism and experience everything God has for you. What do you mean you can find eternal life through other religions? None of them died for your sins. I want to say to the cafeteria Christians and the preachers that aren't sure about the uniqueness of Jesus, I'm going to ask you something in love and humility. Preachers who don't believe in the uniqueness of Jesus and you Christians that are flirting around with other gods, what has happened to you? Preacher, what has happened to you? Having begun in Christ, are you now perfected by another God that is no God? Did your other God die for you? Was he or she born of a virgin? Did they live a sinful life? Or a sinless life? Did they leave a volume of teaching unmatched by any other philosopher or teacher in all of history? Your other God? Did they rise from the grave on your behalf? Did they ascend into the presence of God to continually make intercession for you? Did they undertake building a home for you in eternity? Are they coming back to receive you to themselves? No. So why have anything to do with any of them? And, of course, they're not the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and the Savior of the world. And I'm reading Revelations now, and I'm going to tell you, history ends with Jesus Christ standing there. Then what are you doing with another? This is why Paul wrote in Colossians, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. I'm going to stop right there. Let's stand together, can we? Have y'all heard me tonight, I hope? Uh, can, can you believe? <laughs> I'll tell you, the anointing of God rests on people who are Jesus people. And I say that in humility. It's not bragging. I didn't find the truth. The truth found me. But we need the anointing of the Spirit, and people need to be hearing about Jesus, not a pot pie. Amen? Father, thank you.